Ed Walker here um, from Hope Interaction. It is a real pleasure and an absolute privilege and an honour to be speaking with you today. And I will just pray God's blessing on you as a church. I've come to know Cathy uh, quite well over the last few months. I did speak at church uh, 18 months ago, actually, one evening. And I've come to know James a bit as well and really have a sense of respect for you as a congregation, as a people and an excitement about uh, what God is might well be doing in Bristol. Um, I work, as I come on to explain you, in a number of cities uh, in working with churches to house the homeless, and none excite me as Bristol does. It's just this wonderful sense of, just a sense of God on the move that that's, um, I'm excited about. So listen, thank you for giving me a stop today. I'm just gonna, first of all, explain a bit about Hope Interaction. Um, then I'm just going to do a little talk uh, from Math Mark 5, uh, which is the story of the homeless man. I call it the homeless man. In your Bible, it might talk about a man with legions uh, or demons, uh, but we're going to talk about the homeless man. Uh, but just first of all, I assume that many of you will never even heard of Hope Interaction. So who are we? What are we doing? And uh, you know where, where are we from and so forth? So Hope Interaction enables churches, like Resound, to house the homeless, to give the homeless a home. Where, where do we begin? Why, why do we begin? Well, it, it really began about 12, 13 years ago. I, I just spent nine years overseas in Africa, my last three years in Darfur. And my favourite verse there was always from Isaiah 58. Isn't this the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice, to set the oppressed free? Blah, 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 to kind of you know, provide the poor under a shelter, give the clothes the naked, to feed the hungry. And when I was working in Darfur, those verses, those words resonated with me so powerfully because it was exactly what we were doing. And then I ended up uh, in a place called Peterborough, which is where I am now, actually. If you haven't heard of Peterborough, don't worry, you're not missing anything, honestly. Uh, stay in Bristol. But uh, there I was in the park one day with my, my daughter, about 18 months, two years. And uh, I got speaking to a guy on the bench and uh, he, he's, he got a very similar story to many, many men, uh, thousands of men every year still in this country. So I asked him, you know, what his story was. And he said, well, I left prison that morning. He said, as I was leaving the prison gates, I was full of hope and determination. But at the point I left the prison gates, the prison officer said to me, we'll see you back here in three months time. At which point any sense of self-esteem or hope crumbled. Uh, and by the time I met him, 11 a.m., he was already through a bottle of something pretty strong, at least halfway through. So I said, well, don't worry, I can help you. I know about hostels in this town. Let, let me point you. Phone them up. None were taken. Too old, don't take ex-offenders. So I said, well, let's try Norwich. Anyone taken there? Too old, don't take ex-offenders. I said, well, where were you before you went into prison? He said, before I went into prison, I was in Cambridge. I said, well, why don't you go back to Cambridge? He said, if I go back to Cambridge, I will end up surrounded by the same old people in the same old hostel doing the same old things. And if I go to Cambridge, I can guarantee I'll end up back inside in three months time. And I thought, ah, oh, wow, that's so sort of depressing. So um, to cut a long story short, I had to leave him there. I could do nothing for him. And as I left him there, I felt one, really disempowered, but two, I guess angry or passionate because I could see for us in the central town within a mile of where I was standing at least a dozen churches meeting every Sunday worshiping hands in the air bible studies on Tuesday praying to the Lord reading the bible singing songs 
well, what's the point of all this worship, all this farting, if you don't give the poor wanderer a shelter? And at that moment, I remembered my, my, my thoughts, my prayer, really, to God. Well, you know, how does that verse apply to me here in Peterborough, to Christians in Peterborough? And I'd met the poor wanderer in Isaiah 58. And uh, Isaiah 58 goes on and talks about releasing him from every yoke. And I began thinking, how can you release him from every yoke? Because someone from a food agency might come and give him some food. Someone from a drug agency might come and say you've got an alcohol problem. Someone from a hospital might say you need a bed. Someone from a, a, a debt agency may say you need to clear your debts. Someone from a local church might say you need Jesus. And all of those things are right, actually, to re release someone from every, every yoke that oppresses you. Wow, how can we do that? And my mind began going on a mental journey. Um, and yeah, to cut a long story short, I, I found myself thinking, uh, trying to think about how we can get churches to give the homeless a home. Actually, that's the penultimate thing Jesus said on the cross to John. Can you provide this lady with a home, this vulnerable widow? And the very first thing the nascent church did was to give the homeless a home, be that male or female. And I'm sure, John, if you read what Anton Acts and you read his, his words in his books, you know, if there's no, if you walk past and have no pity in your heart, the love of God is not in you. Uh, what good is it to have material possessions? These are things John continued to do. So by enabling churches to house the homeless, we're actually just continuing in a, a theme that John started from the day after of the crucifixion. Um, so anyway, that's really what got my mind working. Uh, my wife and I had an inheritance and we bought a house, partnered it with my local church walked into the prison, met someone who had nowhere to go on release, met him on the day of his release at the prison gates, took him to the prison, and uh, there we are. Uh, the first house opened, then moved to the second house, so another church, a third house. Someone said, well, we're not that interested in men, can we do a house for females? I said, yeah, we'll work it out. Then someone said, what about refugees? We've got a house for refugees. Then someone said, well, what about people fleeing trafficking? Yeah, we've got a house for that. What about uh, women fleeing sex work? We've got a house for that. And so on and so on and so forth. We, we've gone on and on and on. And um, yeah, that really is how Hope Interaction has begun. We, we replicate it now into new towns via uh, franchising, much like um, uh, street pastors or food bank. Um, and we are trying to do one thing uh, and do exactly the same, but as well as we can every single time to honor God with all our brains, with all our mind, Think, to be intelligent, but never lose our spiritual edge. So we want to be professionally excellent and spiritually passionate. And imagine what the churches can do when the churches come into the space of the homelessness. I tell you, I've, in the last few weeks, I've met a guy who was in prison 13 times. He's come to faith. He's given up his crime. He's praying earnestly. I can talk about a, a former addict who is also a prostitute and she is now helping us and preaching and writing about what God has done for her. So we are seeing examples of people being released holistically from that which oppresses them. And that really excites me. So I'm just going to show you a couple of slides just about Hope Interaction, just so you get a, a sense of it visually. So I hope you can now see uh, two ladies in a female house. I hope you get a sense of the warmth of that house. It's a, it's a, it's a home we help rather than a house because there's warmth there, there's safety there. I hope you get a sense, you don't really know who's the, who's the tenant and who's the, 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 the person from the church who's befriending them. And there's a sense of mutuality, which is something we really strive for. We're not uh, sort of saviors riding on our horses. We are not mother hens. We're here to listen, to learn, to build relationships with our tenants. And across the country now, as I've said, we've now got uh, 70 churches 
85 homes, we're in 27 towns. Uh, we've actually got capacity now for 260 beds across our homes. Uh, and if you're just, well, and this just helps as an endorsement, but uh, over the years we have won various awards for our uh, project and the ones I've put up here are, are all secular, which is a real joy. We've got a right wing think tank, uh, Centre for Social Justice, a left wing newspaper. We've got the NHS. We've got an academic institution and Homeless Link is one of the leading homeless secular organisations in this country. So the fact they are endorsing our model and our approach when we have the church right at the heart of it is something we are proud of. Uh, we haven't compromised our faith. We're doing quality work and it's being recognised by the people that know. Uh, we've been recognised in the Church of England and their Housing Commission, and uh, we, we're very much in partnership with them as well. That's really the context of who Hope Into Action is, and I know you as a church, uh, you've got a real heart for the homeless. You don't need me to tell you that God loves the poor. You, you know that, you understand that, and what we really do is come along and give the church the house. So, we can, we can talk about how you can do that. And we've done it so many times now for 11 years that anything you need to give the homeless a home, we've probably done, we've probably made a mistake and we can probably help uh, you make the same mistakes that we've made. Um, so yeah, I just want to just talk a little bit about how Jesus met a homeless man and what uh, we can learn from him. Uh, at our heart, we believe that actually Jesus resides with the poor, with the prisoner, with those on the edges of, on the, in the shadows of our society. And actually, when we engage with them, yes, we want to take Jesus to them, but also we will find that Jesus uh, wants to meet us in them as well. So there's a sense of mutuality there. We go with a humble heart, taking nothing with us for, for the journey. No sense of superiority, no intellectual ideas, no... We're there humbling ourselves, listening to them and meeting Jesus in the poor. That's our heart. And what can we learn from how Jesus did it? Well, in Mark 5, um, Jesus went across the lake to the other side and he met this legion, this man possessed with demons. So I want to just unpack that for you and just talk about that and see what we can learn from that. But that story, so I'm just going to make four points very quickly on that. Um, so... To understand this story, the first thing we have to understand is the disciples, and we are disciples of Jesus, they had to follow the command of Jesus. Jesus in Mark 4 says, let us go to the other side. Let us go to the other side. That's a really important command if we're to follow Jesus. In many ways, he keeps saying that. Sometimes it means let us go to the other side of the world. Sometimes it can mean let us go to the other side of today's community. Uh, let us go to the other side. I hope you can see that. So Jesus is, they were in the crowds. They were surrounded by the familiarity, the comfort, the routine of the, the other believers. Uh, and Jesus calls us away from that. He calls us into um, this world of the homeless, those people who've been ostracized. So the disciples did everything right. They said, okay, I've heard Jesus say this. I'm obeying Jesus. I'm getting into the boat with him. My life now will be sorted, cosy, cushy, wonderful, comfortable. And of course, that's what we so often hope and expect. And we sometimes think, oh, right, well, you know, I'm following Jesus, so it's, uh, there should be no turmoil in my life. Well, I don't think the Bible bears that out. Um, they followed Jesus. They got into the boat, hardy fishermen. They hit a storm. And it says that disciples were terrified. They were terrified. 
But Jesus led them directly into a storm. They were obeying Jesus and they met a storm. And so that's an important point to remember, I think. Um, then they got to the other side and think, thank goodness, finally on terra firma. We're through that. We're still a bit shaken, but we're through that. And then they meet a highly dangerous, prolific offender that the community could not control and had a reputation, a deserved reputation for being really violent. So they must have been on edge now because this guy came with a thousand demons written all over his face. Well, that's pretty scary. And then the next thing is 2,000 pigs drowned. I don't know if you've ever seen an animal drown. I once had the misfortune of my dog chasing a sheep into a flooded river. And as it was playing with it, it kept knocking on the head and then the sheep got more and more water in its, in its coat and eventually it bobbed up and then down and then came up again and down. And my three kids were there and watched this sheep uh, drown in these flooded rivers and they were traumatized. I was traumatized. It was a traumatic thing, you know. They cried all the way home. It was awful. And imagine watching three, 2,000 pigs drown. I mean, traumatic. Uh, this is the livelihood of the local community. So they would have been wailing and upset and, up, you know, all that sort of stuff to watch all these pigs drown. So following Jesus, he'll take you into a storm, he'll meet you with some dodgy, dangerous people. And you might experience trauma. And I give you lots of other examples where all those three things happened in, in the Gospels. So, and these guys weren't even, you know, they hadn't even done their Alpha course yet. This is just chapter four and chapter five of Mark. They hadn't been discipled that long. They certainly hadn't gone through theological college. And uh, they were just a few, you know, a few weeks or months into their journey with Jesus. And yet he doesn't wait. He doesn't, he, he calls them to the other side. So it, we're all... We're all at liable. You've been a Christian for 40 years or 40 minutes. Jesus can call you to the other side. And that's the first thing. I think that is the call of Christ. So the first point really is um, Jesus calls us to the other side. Um, the second point I just want to make is this. Jesus, when he preached once, he said these three words, do not judge. Do not judge. Now, those words are really simple to understand. But some of Jesus's simplest commands were really hard to follow. Love your enemy. Three words, easy to understand, difficult to do when you've got an enemy. Do not judge. The truth, the, the truth is, I find judging people very easily. Uh, in fact, I, I judge people all the time. Um, now, some of you may think bad of me for that. Some of you get that. Um, and some of you have already judged me for it. But the truth is, it's really easy to judge people. Jesus, when he met this man, somehow could see right through his self-harm, his homelessness, the demons writ large all over his face. I'm sure we've met people like that. Uh, we had someone who'd been a prolific offender. He'd been tied down. He was violent. He was aggressive. And all those things, we assume he knew about him. And yet he could see through that. He found the common humanity between him and the homeless man. And the first thing he said to him is, what is your name? It's a really great first question. It brings out his humanity. It connects you. OK, I've got a name. You've got a name. We've got that in common. And he sees the human. And that is a great challenge for us. Well, first thing is when we're working with anybody, can we not judge? Can we leave behind? Let us go to the other side, leaving behind our prejudices and trying just to love and connect with a common humanity. That requires humility as well. Uh, not judging them for their past sins or mistakes, just as 
you know, we've all got past sins and mistakes. So the first thing is Jesus is called, let us go to the other side. The second thing is do not judge. The third thing is just to just spend a moment reflecting on how much he valued this one man. Um, you know, there's a lot in the charity world about people talking about what's the impact, how much bang do you get for your buck, how much I put 10 quid in, what do I get out, and so on. And I understand that, and I endorse that approach. It's important that we're intelligent givers. Um, and if you look at, say, Jesus and the feeding of the 5,000, he didn't put much in, in terms of money or resources. He just put in five loaves and a couple of fish, or the other way around. His labour was only 12 disciples, and yet he fed over 5,000 people. Input, output, really good. Good money, good bang for your money. On this occasion, let's analyse it. He took 12 disciples right across the other side of the lake to heal one man. This is one of the most rejected, ostracised, difficult man that society had to cope with. They didn't know how to cope with him. Uh, a lot of people were one man. Then he wrote off, in the blink of an eye, 2,000 pigs. Now, I don't know if you know much about the price of pigs these days, but pigs would have been valuable assets for their, this community. And I look up the, the price of pig, a Welsh boar near you would cost, <coughs> excuse me, 250 quid for one pig. So roughly speaking, 2,000 pigs would have cost roughly, been worth in terms of the, the value to that community, half a million pounds. So in the blink of an eye, Jesus thought nothing about writing off half a million pounds in order to save the life of one rejected, ostracised man. Now that is an amazing story. The Son of God came, not like Zeus, who is a big powerful man, not like other images of sort of male role models that would have been in the Roman culture. No, this Son of God came and we didn't think anything of writing off this one rejected man. And he says to that man, I value you so much. I think you have so much innate worth, undiminishable worth, half a million pounds. Uh, incredible. Now, listen, the good news is that he says we can do more than him. And I tell you that we are doing more than him because, you know, we are buying houses at less than half a million pounds. We're putting more than one person in them. And we're also seeing lives transformed. And uh, that's that's great news. And even in um, in Bristol, there's a church, um, Christian Baptist, two men who have themselves been baptized, but previously were in addiction, uh, have gone through a house and wonderful news. And the value is far less than Jesus did because the houses in Bristol aren't half a million pounds and there's more than one guy doing it. So but our approach needs to be this person has so much worth. I'm prepared to lay down my life. I'm prepared to give up so much for this one man or this one woman who I'm working with, I'm called to work with. Um, that is the third thing that we can learn. The first thing is uh, uh, Jesus calls us to the other side. Second thing is following Jesus isn't easy. The third thing is do not judge. The fourth thing is, you know, it's so easy. We need to understand how much Jesus valued people. And then this is the fifth point, and this is where I think the church really comes in, and resounding particularly can come in. I'll, I'll come back and talk about community assets in a sec, but I've often looked at this story, many other stories actually of Jesus, and got quite jealous of Jesus, because it's like, man, you just transform that dude's life in 20 minutes. I've been working with this guy for two years, and how do you do it in 20 minutes? The truth is, is I've understood human nature, all the hurts, all the past abuses 
the shame that this guy experienced, as we all know, uh, they would have come back and you've had to reheal and rethink about those things and rewire his brain to relate to people well in a civilized and lying manner. Um, so what did Jesus do? The dude says to him, can I come back with you? Jesus says, no, I'm not answering that prayer. What I am going to do is I'm going to place you in the community and with responsibility. He says, go and tell people what God has done for you. He places them in community. So what he does is he surrounds him in positive relationships. And Jesus so often does this. For our healing, our ongoing healing to occur, we need to be surrounded in positive relationships. Now, the homeless sector in this country does the complete opposite, actually. The first thing God ever said about mankind was it's not good for man to be alone. And the homeless sector tries to get people into independent living. Well, at Hope Interaction, we try and surround people by the love of the community church. We have the Holy Spirit in them, we have Jesus in them, who are praying for them, who are non-judgmental, who are willing to journey with them on their recovery out of homelessness. And we're placing them in community. We all need community. We all need relationships around us, positive, affirming, upbuilding relationships for our humanity to grow, for our motivation to grow, for our hope to grow, for us to make good decisions. That's vital to any one of our children that we want. And so why would it not be appropriate for the homeless man or woman that we meet on the street? And that's what the church can offer, that no other multi-million charity can, a sense of we can give someone a home, all facets of a home, not just a house, not just bricks and mortar, but loving, nurturing, caring, persevering, non-judgmental relationships that bed them in. And, you know, if any of our children have got a safe, secure home and positive relationships, they're more likely to make good choices. And it's the same with our tenants. If, you have, if I had more time, I'd tell you our stats, analyze our stats. We've got really good stats. Why? Because we, we, we surround people with prayer and loving relationships and make them feel human, make them feel whole through the relationships. And that's where your church can offer something vital to some of the men and women in Bristol. It could be a male house, it could be a female house, um, but we would love that to be the case for you. So the invitation for you is to consider being a partner church with us. We would love you to be. Uh, Kathy Knowles knows a bit more about the details of how that can work, and we'll, we'll probably do it in partnership with In Hope. Um, but don't worry about that. If you feel the call to do this, if you feel you think, yeah, I can be, I, I can hear Jesus saying I've been called to the other side. I can strive for mutuality, non-judgmentalism. I'm prepared to try and offer love to one of the least uh, uh, welcome people in our society. Then great. Final part on the story, if you want it, uh, this is an amazing bit as well. Jesus said, go and tell people what God has done for you. And the man recognized Jesus' divinity because he said he went and told people what Jesus had done for him. This, he connected Jesus as God. And in our society, at Hope Interaction, we never want to leave, lose that spiritual edge where Jesus is at the heart of the transforming power that people feel. And that's why we never, we always, always, always open a house in partnership with church so that we never lose that spiritual edge. So that really is my talk for you. I'm just going to go over it one more time. Uh, I'll just share the final points that I've shared. And then I'm going to leave you with something else just to get your mind thinking as well. So these are the points that I have taken you from. First of all, Jesus said, let us go to the other side. Next, following Jesus isn't easy. Storms, challenging individuals, trauma. Do not judge. See the common humanity as Jesus did. What is your name? 
How much value do we place on that one person? Jesus sacrificed half a million pounds worth of assets. And then he placed him with community. He gave him the responsibility to share the gospel. Responsibility helps people to grow. And it's a really good way to develop someone out of homelessness. Now, the final thing I'll just say is this. Uh, you may be thinking, that's fine, Ed, but, you know, Bristol's an expensive place. How on earth are we going to get any houses up in Bristol? Well, we just last week opened our 10th house in Cambridge. But uh, let me tell you, broadly speaking, that uh, why I think you can get houses in Bristol. Just stop and watch this for a second. So we are in Bristol. There are, let's say, 100 churches. I'm led to believe there are more than that, but let's say there are 100 churches in this city. On average, let's say the attendance is 50 per church. Let's say on average, there'll be people in debt, I understand that, but on average, let's assume people have in their savings accounts, their ISAs, uh, their current accounts, their pension accounts, their stock and shares, an average of 5,000 pounds worth of savings. That means that in this city, there's 25 million pounds worth of savings sitting around in people's uh, bank accounts. Uh, Jesus, by the way, said, do not store up your money in barns. Uh, a Monday barn could be an ISA or a savings account. He said, you're fools for doing so. So there's roughly 25 million pounds worth of Christian wealth just sitting in bank accounts. And let's say the 100 churches, let's say on average, each church has a reserve of 50,000 uh, pounds. Some would have less. I appreciate that. Uh, that's another five million pounds uh, in church uh, cash. Um, let's keep going. If you said the 100 churches, 10 people on average per church own a house. Let's say the average house price is 150. That's another 150 million pounds worth of assets owned by Christians in Bristol. Add all that up. You've got at least 180 million pounds worth. So don't. So with that knowledge, I hope you can see that it is eminently possible to believe that churches can get 10 houses going in Bristol, especially when we follow the example of the early church. So this word shared, it can scare us, can't it? But when I tell my daughter to share her, her doll, uh, all parties involved in that exchange understand that they, she's going to get her doll back. Um, and it's the same with when you share your wealth. If you put money into a house, you can still own the house, but you're, you're leasing it. Your, your, your tenants are the poor. And so you're sharing that asset or that wealth with the poor. And in five years time, you can sell the house and take back your money. In the meantime, it is, it's, you've, you've got a return on your investment because you, your return on your investment is you've helped a homeless man or a homeless lady. So that's my talk. I hope that's helped or inspired in some way. And the final thing, if you're really bored, uh, there is some reading, a book. I think we've sent some, or we can send some to you and just explain a bit more about Hope into Action. Okay, listen, I hope that helps. God bless you all. Uh, it's uh, been wonderful to share with you and uh, pray blessings on you.